See, when pastors make mistakes, everybody notices. That's right. Now we're going to just keep going. We'll take an offering at the end. So, Jesus was blowing people's minds. He was healing people on the Sabbath. He was allowing his disciples to pick grain out of the fields on the Sabbath. And they didn't, the people didn't understand this. It was, as I said, blowing their minds. What is this guy teaching? What is his message? Because he seems to be doing things vastly different than the other rabbis. And even today, if you go to Israel, what you will see is pictures of rabbis all over the place. Everybody has their rock star rabbi. It's true. That's how it is. And they, you know, you see all the unique clothing that people wear. Some of the observant Jews there. All of the clothing is designed to demonstrate which rabbi they are followers of. So nothing has really changed. There's nothing new under the sun. But this rabbi from Nazareth, this Jesus, he was doing things differently. What was this all about? And so a lot of people were postulating. He's got a new message. He's got a new way of doing things. The law does not matter any longer. And Jesus addresses that by saying, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He says he came to fulfill the law. And it's very true. From uh, Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about the seed of the woman, through Malachi chapter 3, where it talks about the Lord coming to his temple suddenly, like a refiner's fire. All of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus was having a debate with the rabbis, and he said, you guys search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, and yet it is the scriptures that speak of me, because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He was the one that everything pointed to. All of the prophets In their messages, they were trying to focus the people on maintaining a fidelity to the law, but also to the fact that there was a Messiah coming who would be their king, who would reign over them in righteousness and would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never fade away. So Jesus did not come to abolish. He he wasn't allowing his disciples to eat corn on the Sabbath to demonstrate something new or healing people on the Sabbath to say the the old way is now gone, he was showing the people what the law really meant, what it was all about. He's saying the law is not going to go away. Everything will be accomplished. Everything will be fulfilled. Everything that it speaks of. So, If anyone sets aside one of these commands and teaches others accordingly, he'll be called the least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Now, talk about blowing people's minds. When Jesus said this, he really blew their minds. Because the people understood by observation that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had an incredibly meticulous observance of everything that the law supposedly was designed to to do. They were the ones who showed the people how to keep the law. So when Jesus says to the people listening to him, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. How can I possibly be more righteous than a Pharisee? How can I possibly observe the law more meticulously than one of the teachers of the law? Well, Jesus is going to go into a series of explanations, six different explanations of how the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had missed the whole point of the law. They understood the letter of the law, but they did not understand, nor did they live out the spirit of the law. See, hypocrisy blinds us. When we become hypocritical, we are blinded to our own faults. Give you a demonstration of that. I was in a context where I was eating a meal with some people who were mentally challenged. And I was eating this meal with these people, and some of them were having a difficult time eating, you know, getting the food to their mouth, and some of the food was dripping and and things like that. And I began to think, you know, it's really a good thing that I'm doing this, that I'm eating with these people, I'm sharing a meal with them. It was a nice thing I'm doing. And then I looked down (laughs) and realized, to my horror, that a, a bunch of food had fallen on my shirt (laughs) and it just hit me you pharisee see i thought i was so good eating with these people sharing this meal with them and i began to observe that i was sort of superior to them that i could eat more cleanly than they did when in fact it wasn't true (laughs) have you ever done something like that hypocrisy does that to us it makes us think that we're something that we're not Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers. On the outside, you look good. You're all clean and and everything. But the reality is, within, you're dead men's bones. Rottenness, corrupt to the core. So Jesus begins to to show the, the people that the righteousness that exceeds the law or that, excuse me, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, is a righteousness that comes from God from within us, not from without. See, the Pharisees were all about everybody else looking at them and being impressed. But God is not impressed by the very best that we can do. He is impressed when we allow His Holy Spirit to have full force in our lives. So you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, or you empty head, 
is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. So the, the letter of the law said, thou shalt not murder. But the underlying truth of that is murder starts with the intent of the heart, with an anger towards someone, a desire to eliminate them. And so Jesus is going to the Spirit here. And he, he talks about uh, uh, ways that you, we must respond when we are in worship. If you have a desire to offer your gift at the altar, remember, remembering that your brother or sister has something against you, go, leave your gift, and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison, staying there until you have paid to the last penny. So Jesus is saying, deal with that heart issue before it grows to the point of causing you to desire to murder someone. And he goes on here with adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and saying essentially the same thing. You have heard it said. But I say to you. So he's not replacing the law. He's saying, you've heard it said. But the deeper meaning and truth here is a heart issue. Jesus told his disciples, out of the heart issue forth all kinds of evil things. Wicked thoughts, murderous desires, lustful intent. It all comes from an unregenerated heart. So Jesus' message here is with the regenerated heart, as a Christian who has been born again and has the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you have the ability for the very first time to deal with the issues of the heart. No longer is your heart in that condition that Jeremiah said, where it is deceitful and wicked, fully corrupt. Who can know it? As a Christian, you have a new heart, a new ability to overcome all of those wicked things that formerly emerged from the interior of your life. So that righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is the righteousness that comes forth from the heart. Now, this is a twofold righteousness. You've got to understand this. This is very important. The first part of this righteousness is the imputed or grace-given righteousness that we receive. We are righteous because we receive by faith the message of the gospel. But what Matthew is talking about here is a righteousness that from that beginning point demonstrates itself in action. James said, if there is someone who is in need of food, and you say to them, go and be filled, God bless you, but you don't do anything to alleviate their need, what good is that? There is a demand for, an expectation of Christians to live above the standard that everybody else has. 
That doesn't save us. That doesn't make us better than anyone else. It simply demonstrates that we have new hearts. We have been born again. That there is a reality in our lives that points to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not to put our light under a bushel. We are to allow the Holy Spirit in us to refashion us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we're not any longer thinking thou shalt not murder. We are dealing with that very tiny kernel of hatred that begins to rise up in our lives when someone offends us, when someone is positioned better than we are. And we deal with it because the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin. We recognize that we have the the germinating possibility of sin and we deal with it through the Holy Spirit. Same thing with adultery. Now, (laughs) whenever I read this passage where Jesus says, I tell you, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart, I'm not going to have you guys raise your hands. But it's true. This is the scripture when I read this, I think, oh yeah, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because there's nothing that attracts my eye more swiftly than a beautiful woman. I'm just saying. It's true. And my eyes gravitate towards beauty. And so I have developed this. If you ever see me walking down the street and I'm going like this, it's probably because I'm behind a beautiful woman. I have developed the approach that I'm not even going to let my eyes go there. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus is not advocating uh, amputation here of our physical uh, appendages. But he is advocating amputation of the lust. That, that very beginning moment when, when you look at a beautiful woman, guys, or women, I don't know what you guys lust after, but... Um, pretty sure I know what most guys lust after. When you see that beginning to happen, cut it off. Look somewhere else. Develop a a radical approach to saying, not going to go there. And here's the reality. Here's the reality, and this is the good news. You have the Holy Spirit's power within you to assist you in developing that successfully. When I was a young man, before I had become a Christian, lust was a huge problem in my life. Huge problem. Pornography, I've told you guys many times, I was worse than the prodigal son. Terrible, terrible problem in my life. But as I became a Christian, God has so worked in my life. I'm just being transparent. Hopefully that doesn't offend anybody that I'm sharing some of that with you because I know it's true of a good portion of you out here this morning anyway. You know, that's the reality. Pornography business did last year $30 billion worth 
of income. Now, you think, well, that's quite a bit. That's triple the amount that mainstream Hollywood did. Which is the bigger industry? Jesus is advocating that we take radical steps to live holy lives. It's not going to be something that just falls upon us. So as I developed as a Christian, this struggle I had with lust in my life, I began to do, as I said, various approaches, looking up, looking away, doing other things. I became accountable to my wife. She was aware of the struggle I had. And so that accountability, along with accountability to other people, was essentially, in a spiritual way, amputating, gouging out, making certain that that sin did not have control over my life any longer. That's the the deeper part of the law, because it starts here. It starts here. Divorce, oaths, eye-for-eye retaliation, all of these things, the same kind of message being given. The law is not being done away with, Jesus said. It's being fulfilled. And in me, Jesus is saying, you have the power to not only live out the letter of the law, but to live out the spirit of the law as a child of God. That's a wonderfully freeing concept. Because I know so many of you, like me, struggle with sin. And here's, here, here's the, the reason why. Because the power of sin, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, is in the law. When you say, thou shalt not, immediately you begin to want to do that. It's just part of the sin nature. If you go through and read Romans chapter 7, you will see Paul's struggle with that same kind of thing, that the power of sin is in the law. And if you look to the law as the strength that you will possess to overcome sin, you will absolutely fail. You will absolutely fail. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Because Paul was looking at the commandment. Paul was looking at, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. He was looking at those things and recognizing, "I, I have all kinds of lustful thoughts. I have all kinds of covetous thoughts within me. Wretched man that I am, how will I ever succeed in becoming a truly godly, truly spiritual man. Then he says, thanks be to God who has given me the victory through Christ Jesus. And then he moves into chapter 8 of Romans where he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all who are led by the Spirit of God, you are the sons and the daughters of God. So we have a new way of living through the Spirit. We're not condemned when we sin. We are forgiven. In Christ Jesus. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, forgiven, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you sin, God is not condemning you. You have the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit within you to give you victory over that and to help you to ascend to a plane of living 
that truly, as Jesus said, people will observe and say, wow, that's different. And here's, here's the key. The, the key to keeping the law is understanding that the law is love. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, Lord? Out of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament, which is the greatest one? You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your power. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the law. And so, Jesus says in verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, now this is sort of like the statement that Jesus made about your righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It's like, what? Are you sure you really meant this, Jesus? Now, come on. Really? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? Is that the expectation? Well, actually it is. And it's important, again, in understanding uh, what perfect means. The, the word translated perfect here is teleos from the Greek. And what perfect in this context means is not behavioral perfection, but it's integrity. It is alignment with what you have been created so in other words, a bird flies. Why? Because it's been designed to fly, right? A fish swims and lives within the water. Why? Because it's teleos. It is perfect. It is living out its design. So too, for us as Christians, when it says, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, he is saying to us, live out the design that God has for you. You have, as a new creature in Christ, been designed for, created for love. You have the capacity through the Holy Spirit within you to love your enemies. Now, when I read this and I think about some of the things, I was having a conversation. Can I share this? because I'm going to embarrass you, but I'm going to embarrass me too. This is Alicia and my story. Happened to Alicia this morning, happened to me last week. I'm getting ready to turn onto Main Street off of Tamichi, right? And these 40 motorcyclists are jaywalking across Main Street, just sort of taking their time. And there's four cars that are waiting for them to get across Main Street, right? So... I'm stuck in the intersection of Tamichi and Maine, waiting for these motorcyclists to finally get over to their motorcycles. Well, finally, the street opens up, Main Street opens up, and cars begin to move. And I'm like... And so, 
I'm in the right lane because there's a bunch of cars in the left lane. And in the right lane, all the motorcyclists are still standing there. And I'm like, what? Can't you get over to your motorcycles? And so I'm sort of just inching forward a little faster, a little faster, inching forward. <laughs> and they're really, you know, not appreciating that. Imagine that. This truck sort of trying to run them over. <laughs> Hi, I'm the pastor of Community Church. <laughs> Move! Because I was, honestly, I mean, again, transparency here. I was angry. I was upset. It's like, can't they just get over to their bikes? Why do I have to wait for them? And so I'm trying to inch them out of the way. And this one guy gets angry at me and, and slaps my rear view and knocks it over. And so I'm driving down the road, and Christy would say, was that really necessary? <laughs> uh, so, of course, of course. I've been studying this, right? Love your enemies. God just like hammers me. It's like, conviction, gotcha. Okay, what are you going to do about that, Greg? Love, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love, that's what you've been created for. Not anger, not hostility, not revenge, not sin, but love. That's what I've been created for. Now, I was able to go ahead and go shopping at City Market and not feel bad because why? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I let it go. Yeah, I was not behaving well. But God forgave me. I moved on. And fortunately, they didn't follow after us and kill me. (laughs) So you're going to have those moments. But you have been created for love. You have been fashioned that way as as a Christian, as a new creature in Christ. That's what you're meant to do. And it's not just the people who treat you nicely. It's not just your family. It's not just those that you like that you're to express love to. It's to the bikers who are taking their time crossing Main Street and who are slamming your rearview mirror over. I'm supposed to love them just like Jesus did. And I'm created to be able to do that. That's the heart of God's law, is love. Okay, now, ushers, 